You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title in the second part of the series today, my sermon title is called I Am a Servant. I Am a Servant. Let's say that together. One, two, three. I Am a Servant. All right, you don't believe you're a servant? Let's try it one more time. One, two, three, I am a servant. So we talked last week, and the title of the sermon was, I am a world changer, I will change my world. The sermon series is titled Upside Down, and it's based off of a scripture in Acts. Acts chapter 6, I forget where I started it at. Acts chapter 6, I think, verses 6 and 7. No. Whichever one has says Acts on it. Oh, there we go. 17. I knew it was close. We're basing it off of Paul going into a town. And it says that he visits the church like he normally does. And he reasons with the Jews first. And once the Jews didn't like what he had to say, he would go to the Gentiles and he would talk to them. And if you read higher up in Acts chapter 17, it says the thing that he was discussing was that Christ died for their sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. And that simple gospel message angered the town and threw it into a frenzy until there was this huge riot. And in verse 6, it says, but when they did not find them, being Paul and his people, they dragged Jason, who was housing Paul and his friends, and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And then verse 7 says, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And so we see in this story, it's same that is true today, that there are teachings and there are things that are out in this world that contradict the teachings of Jesus. And when Paul brings this teaching, he brings this gospel message, what they say in the city and outside in the world is these teachings have turned the world upside down. It's something completely different than we've ever heard before. And so that got me thinking, that got me praying and asking, what are some of the things that Jesus has said throughout his teachings that are contradictory to what the world has taught us and encouraged us? And how can we take those teachings and turn our world and our thinking upside down? The last scripture that we talked about last week was Romans 12, chapter 2. And it says... To not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That that may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That we aren't to be conformed to this world. We're not to be conformed to what the world says, to what the world believes, to what the world teaches us. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there are teachings of Jesus that are contrary to to the teachings of the world, and we need to apply those teachings to our life, which can then change our world. So this week we're going to talk about being a servant. I am a servant. And we're going to look at the world's point of view when it comes 
to this teaching, and then we're going to talk about Jesus's upside-down teaching of being a servant. Because the world's point of view is if you want to reach the top, if you want to be the greatest, then you have to push down everyone who is trying to get there. If you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, then you must grab the person's foot above you and pull them down. You must use your foot or your boot to kick the person who's trying to climb up that ladder with you down. Once you get to the top, make sure you burn that ladder so no one else can get up there with you. We are taught from a very young age to be better or outshine your competition. Now it's not a bad thing to be competitive. It's not a bad thing to want to have the best in life. I'm not coming against that. What I'm talking about is the worldview that we're taught to attack, to destroy, to intimidate, to run over the competition. To run over anyone who comes between me and my money, me and my power, me and my position, me and whatever's holding me back in my mind. There's a fear that's been installed in us, I believe, that we've been told that we won't be successful if we do not come out on top. It's easily seen whenever people get together and they start talking about their kids. My kids started walking when he or she was a year old. Mine started walking when he was eight, eight months old. Oh, okay. Mine started walking when, when he was two days old. I don't, it's not even possible. That's, no, that's what he did. That's, that's what happened. We see that we're encouraged to be the best in our little league teams, to have the best grades so that we can be the valedictorian, to be the best worker. But the world's teaching is disregard everybody else so that you can get yours. I've worked in the corporate world for a very, very, very long time. My first job when I was 15 years old was at a car wash. And the way this car wash was set up, now that I look back on it, was probably highly illegal, but, you know, who knows when you're 15, was we'd get there in the morning when I worked the weekends, and when it was slow, the first one who got there was the one who got to clock on. If it was slow and you weren't the first one, you had to go back to this waiting area and sit there for a couple minutes or a couple hours until it got busy enough for them to bring you on. So as a 15-year-old kid, I didn't ever get there on time or... And so I'd have to go and sit in this back room for... 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, and they wouldn't let you leave. They'd let you leave, but they'd say, we're not going to put you, we're not going to let you work the rest of the day, or they'd fire you, saying that you weren't. So we would all go and sit in this room, and there were young kids in high school and college. There were older people who had kids and families. There was even a, a program set up for people that worked in halfway houses to be there. And all of a sudden, there would be this bullying system that would happen of, no, I've got kids and a family. I'm going to go ahead of you. You're, you're 15. You don't need the money like I need it. No, I need, I need the money. I'm hungry and got to put gas in my car. And 
that I saw from a very young age, a 15-year-old starting out, how people would push people off to the side. I saw people, as they would wash these cars, go through these other people's cars and steal money, steal CDs, steal drugs, steal clothes, steal things out of these people's cars. I learned very quickly what this working world looks like, that in order to be on top, we've got to destroy anybody who tries to hinder. I worked in a prison for two years in college. You can only imagine the intensity there of being on top, whether you were behind the bars or you were wearing the badge. Currently work for a corporate office based out of Dallas, Texas, a fairly well-known company nationwide, and have gone through multiple layoffs, seen multiple people, good people, hard-working people kicked to the curb because their team's no longer needed. You work out in some type of job and some type of business, you've seen it as well. But the world out there, what they're teaching us, is destroy everybody who cares what's going on in order for you to succeed. There was a book that I was given when I was starting off at this corporate job probably about five years ago, and you might have heard it before. It's called The 48 Laws of Power. Very well-known book in the business world, written by Robert Greene. He has 48 laws of power to help you overcome and increase your life in business. I don't have all 48 listed. I've got five of them listed. But tell me if these sound like good teachings to follow. One of the laws of the 48 laws of power is conceal your intentions. It's a good one to start off with. Here's another law. Get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit. One of the laws of power when it comes to overcoming and achieving in this corporate world. Here's another one. Use selective honesty. I thought that was called lying, but obviously selective, that's a business term right there. Use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. I thought they were called employees. I thought they were called customers. Here's one that sounds similar to what we hear in the Bible. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Amen. 48 laws of power. Here's the last one I have listed. Preach the need for change, but never reform too much at once. There's just five of these 48 laws of power. It's one book that's written out there, but it shows the mindset of what we're trying to teach people out in the corporate world. Now, yes, there are good books out there on leadership. There are good books that are out there, but there's this understanding in the grand scheme of the world to not be a servant. To not like what Jesus says, if you go a mile and they ask you to go another, go two with them. I don't have time to go a foot with you, much less a mile, and then you want me to go an extra mile? No, 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 we don't, we don't have time for that. To be a servant is an upside-down teaching. It's an upside-down understanding that will change your world and help you. But people out there and in the business world and in the competitive world 
say, what is wrong with you trying to help these people? Trying to help and do this or do that? So let's look at some of the teachings that Jesus did so that we too can become servants. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. Then he, being Jesus, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Talking to his disciples, verse 34. But they kept silent. Uh Uh-oh, they got caught. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Verse 35. And he sat down. And everybody knows when you were a kid and your parents sat down, you were about to get a very long lecture or they were about to tell you some type of truth that you needed to hear. He sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That even back then, these twelve disciples, these twelve young men, who in some way have been working most of their lives, they're fishermen, they're tax collectors. Think of a tax collector's job. The tax collector back then was a Jew who worked for the Romans. The Romans would come to the tax collector and said, hey, the taxes are $10 for everybody in this city. Go collect the taxes. And then the tax collector would go door to door or set up his little table and say, hey, you've got to bring in the taxes for the Romans, and the taxes are $15. He would bring 10 to the Romans, and he'd put five in his pocket. He would steal from his own people, which is why they were not well-liked in the community. This tax collector knew, Matthew the tax collector, he knew how to be on top. He knew how to finagle the numbers. He knew how to push people down. Think about fishermen. That was their livelihood. Some of these disciples weren't the only. They didn't have the monopoly, the market on fishing. And when they stopped, well, there's no more fishermen. No, no, there were plenty of people who were fishing and bringing fish to the market that there was this competitive edge to get the biggest and best fish, bring it to the market so you could make money. Think of the competition to fish this one area, the Sea of Galilee at the time. Then these disciples get called by Jesus. They start hearing him talking about the kingdom. They start hearing him talking about, in their mind, overthrowing the Romans. That this Messiah has shown up who's doing miracle signs and wonders. He's coming against the status quo. And he's picked me. And he's picked 11 other of us. And we're going from town to town. We're doing all of these tours. 12 city tour in 12 days. Here we go. And one day we're going to rise up. We're going to overthrow Caesar. We're going to overthrow the Romans. Kick them out of our land. And this is the man who will do it. And just like any young kid, group of boys hanging out and talking, I doubt they were at the front of the line talking near Jesus, they were probably in the back. You know what? When, when Jesus takes over the throne, I'm pretty sure he's going to pick me as his right-hand guy. Peter says, absolutely not. That's, that's ridiculous. There's, there's no way. I'm the guy. Jesus listens to my voice. 
John says, but he loves me, so no matter what, I'm probably his favorite. Matthew says, well, I'm the tax collector. I know that he's going to need finances. And Judas says, no, 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 I've got the finances handled. Don't you worry about it. I've got the money bag, and I know. And all the disciples probably said, we know you're stealing money, Judas. Calm down. That they're disputing who is the greatest among them. And Jesus comes and throws a massive monkey wrench in that whole plan, turns their world upside down, says, if you want to be the greatest, then you've got to be the last. If you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Here's another story. And when the ten heard it, what did they hear? If you read earlier in the story, two of the disciples sent their mommy to Jesus to ask Jesus, when you take over the kingdom, will you give my two sons the right and left hand of your throne? Now when these disciples, the other ten, heard that their mommy went and asked Jesus this, they were greatly displeased, you think, with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus once again brings correction to them. He comes again to them to challenge their mindset and their thought processes of what they've heard and experienced out in the world. And he turns it upside down by saying, if you want to be the greatest and you need to be a servant. You need to be the servant of all. And I want to encourage you, challenge you, and let you know that Jesus will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done. Because Jesus says right here, he says, I didn't come to be served, although he could have. Jesus could have shown up as a king already with an army. Jesus could have shown up as a celebrity at a different time when social media and worldwide fame was available. Jesus could have shown up as not just a billionaire, but a trillionaire with all the money in the world. But he didn't show up as that. He showed up as a baby. The most helpless form of a human. I know because I have one and she won't sleep right now. <laughs> and everywhere he goes, he makes an example to his disciples, to the people that are around, and to the people who will be reading his stories for eternity that he came to serve. He goes to a wedding and he turns the party back on. He can't go to a funeral 
without disrupting it. He can't see someone who's sick and hurting without healing them. He can't see someone with a broken heart without loving them. He can't see a dying world without saving them. He said, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done and am planning to do continually, that I've come to give my life as a ransom. Look at this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, going through verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you. Wait a second. So we're back to what we were talking about in Romans chapter 12 again. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when we see something talking about renewing of our mind or or something going on with our mind, we need to pay attention because this is the mindset that we need to have applying to our life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't come as a king or a power broker or a millionaire. He took on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done. He became a servant. He shows his servanthood. And his mindset was to come down and serve humanity. Not to overthrow humanity not to embarrass, not to chastise, not to condemn. John chapter 3, it says he didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So we see this teaching and understanding of if I want to be the greatest, then it starts with having a mindset of being a servant and looking for opportunity to serve others first before I kick them off the ladder of success. Completely against what's out there in today's world. So how can we become a servant? Let's look at some stories and some scriptures, and we're almost done. Three ways that we can apply becoming a servant and changing our mindset to be a servant in this world. Number one, learn to wash feet. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. You want to be a servant? Learn to wash feet. John chapter 13 and verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and you say well, for so I am. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to have washed another's, one another's feet. Verse 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 16. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is greater than he who sent them. Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you learn to wash feet, there's a blessing attached to that. Now I'm not talking about literally washing someone's feet. Yes, if the opportunity arises, sure, go ahead, wash someone's feet. This is Jesus at the Last Supper, Passover meal with his disciples. He is hours away from being rejected from his Father. He is hours away from enduring one of the greatest tortures of our world. That when the Romans crucified you, when the Romans whipped you, it wasn't just somebody blindly swinging a whip around. When they crucified people, it wasn't them just guessing, should I hammer it here, should I hammer it there? No, they knew the exact places to whip, they knew the exact places to put those nails, to sever nerves, to bring the most pain and torture to a human being, to suffer the most that they could until they died. That this is what Jesus is about to do on top of the physical pain and torture also taking on the entire sins of the world. And he decides to wash the disciples' feet. Now there are people here who are wearing sandals today. But these disciples wore some form of sandals back then. There were no cars to get in and out of. They were walking in the desert, in the sand. They were walking with animals around, people just throwing their trash and other things into the streets. These are also potentially teenage to college-age boys. We just know how nasty those feet are. And Jesus doesn't wait in the morning when they get out of bed and say, oh, oh wait, don't get out yet, let me wash your feet. He doesn't, he doesn't wait till they get out of the shower and say, oh, now's a good time to wash your feet. They've gone all day walking and hanging out and doing all these things. Remember, they're trying to find the place to have the Passover meal. They're, they're finding a donkey and carrying him around. They're, they're doing all these things as they're coming into the town. And it's the end of the night. They're all sitting around the table eating. And there's the time that Jesus says, now's the time to wash these disciples' feet. And he goes from one after the other. No doubt he probably had to get up and change the water in that bowl. And he learned and he shows the importance of taking care of someone. I wrote this down. We need to be willing to serve people, not belittle or destroy them, when we see them at their dirtiest moments. That if we want to become a servant like Jesus is telling us to, is instructing us to, that we learn to wash people's feet. 
that yes, you might have it all together, you might have got saved a long time ago, but I guarantee you that there are going to be people who walk into these church doors and church doors throughout here that are probably going to be dirtier than most. They're going to have sin on their life, they're not going to smell good, they're going to have struggles, they're going to have failures. And it's important that the church and the community of the church learns to be at that moment to wash their feet, to love them, to take care of them, to speak to them, to tell them about the goodness of God, to tell them about their Savior, to tell them about what Jesus did, what He's going to do, and what He continually does for people. To go out into your business world and instead of stepping on people, just understanding that people need help. People need love. People need consideration. That yes, your boss might have come down on you. Coworker might have chewed you out. But you don't know what happened at their house that morning. You don't know what's going on in their family's lives behind the scenes. And if we learn to be a servant and learn to wash people at their dirtiest moment, at their stinkiest moment, at their worst moment, we learn to be a servant and love them just like Jesus did. Number two, learn to serve tables. Learn to serve tables. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1. We're going to go down to verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, the church is growing at this time. Remember, the day of Pentecost has happened. People are filled with the Spirit. Church grows to thousands of people instantly. We're in Acts chapter 6 couple weeks, couple months later, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Remember, the, the church is coming together. People are selling their land. They're bringing all their money. They're pulling all their money together. They're trying to take care of the poor, the needy. They're trying to do all these things. And the Hellenists, which are kind of outside of the Jewish people, they have a complaint against the Hebrews. They're bringing it to the disciples, saying we're not getting our portions because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. They're not getting the food because they're different than the Jews. So there's this complaint, and they're bringing it to the disciples. Verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, they're not being necessarily arrogant here. They're not being like, oh, we're so much better. They're understanding that they, their leading and their calling is to study the Word of God as this new church is growing, this new church is being built, that they're trying to find out God. Okay, what's the next step? What's supposed to be doing? And there's all these logistic ideas and things that have to come together. So there's disciples that they're mentoring and training below them, and they bring them in. Much like a head pastor brings in the staff, I don't need somebody, whenever I'm preaching, to come up to me in the middle of us preaching saying, hey, we're out of toilet paper, can you do something? Well, no, we have people here who go and check the bathrooms and make sure they're clean during service and make sure there's toilet paper before and all those things. So these disciples are saying, we don't have time to figure out this. You disciples that we're training and equipping, you need to figure this out. And so let's see what they talk about. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, but we will, continue, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So they said, hey, you pick out seven people that can help figure out how to distribute the food properly and, and serve these tables. We'll keep doing our job and we'll keep 
moving and leading and doing the things that we're supposed to do. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Everybody was happy about it. Yay, great idea. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurius and Nicanor, Timon and Pumbaa and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Verse 6. And when they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The disciples empowered them to go out and perform the job that they were now called to do. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen is sitting there, he's hanging out in the church, all excited, and one of the disciples comes up to him and says, hey, the 12 disciples, the big, or the big time, the big 12, oh, those guys, they said that we could choose seven guys for a very important mission, a very special thing that we need you to do to help the church function as we're growing. Would you be interested, Stephen, and you other six men? Yes, absolutely, I would love to do that. So then they get brought probably into this room. The 12 apostles show up. Wow, those are the, the men that were with Jesus. Look at them. That's so awesome. There's Peter, James, and John. And, oh, Judas isn't there. And there's Matthew. And there's all those, oh, wow, it's full. They're going to talk to us. Okay, we have this great, important job that is needed. And here it is. We need you to serve tables. We need you to hand out bread and make sure that when these women come together to eat and get food for their families, that there's not a fight. People are flipping tables and eating all the bread, eating all the food. We need you to just calm it all down. We're going to lay our hands on you because we know that you're going to need help uh, trying to calm down all the women. God bless you. We're going to go back up and study the word. Good luck. And Stephen could have sat there and said, well, I thought I was going to be the 13th disciple. I thought I was going to be the one. They want me to serve tables. They want me to clean toilets. They want me to watch kids. They want me... That's beneath me. I'm not going to do that. That's not what Stephen did. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. He knew that in this position that he was in, that God had appointed him for such a time as this, that he starts healing, he starts saving, he starts helping, he starts changing the atmosphere what he deemed was some low what he could have deemed was some lowly job that was embarrassing and beneath him he decided to step up and just serve tables and people and because of that great miracles signs and wonders started in whatever job whether inside or outside the church have integrity just like Stephen just like the men and the women that they talked about here be full of the holy spirit have wisdom in every situation, be used by God and use God. No matter how minimal a task is, get God involved. No matter what you're doing in life, no matter what job you're a part of, no matter what job you want to obtain, you might not be at that position yet, start serving in the position that you're in right now and watch what God can do. And the last thing in order for us to be a servant is learn to trust God. Learned to trust God. If you're relying on the world's point of view of promotion, then I question how much you actually trust God. 
If you're learning, if you're relying on pushing down everybody else to get to the top, do you not believe that God can make a way where there seems to be no way? Well, I want to be manager. I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to grow. I want to do this. But if I go and tear this person down, if I go and destroy this, if I go make fun of my boss, if I go do this or that, then I can get his job. No, no, no. God's the one who promotes. If you go back and look at Philippians chapter 2 when we were talking, it says that Christ humbled himself. Let's go back to verse, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10, I believe is where it, no. Number 9, verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. After Jesus makes the decision to humble himself as a man and a bondservant, giving himself to death in the cross, who gives the promotion? Is it man? Therefore, God also highly exalted him, giving him a name. That when you humble yourself, God is never going to ask you to do something that he hasn't already done. Jesus has humbled himself to God and being a servant. And God, when he sees that, he says, I'm the one that brings promotion. I'm the one that brings you up. And not only does he just promote Jesus to a certain, he says, I'm putting your name above everything that's out there. God brings the promotion, and God being a God of abundance can take you much higher than you just hanging on the world's view of pushing people down. Look at my last scripture. I'm finishing with this. Philippians chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. God's favor is already on your life. If you are a believer in Jesus and the favor of God is already following you, It says here that you're supposed to find it, not just with God, but also with man. And in verse 5, we've heard this scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. Lean not on the world's understanding. In order to be a servant, we need to trust God. We need to learn to wash feet of our enemies, to learn to wash the feet of the people that are above us to learn to wash the feet of the people that are below us, that we learn to not make fun of people or discredit them at their ugliest moments, but to serve them and love them. We need to learn to serve tables, to be a servant. We need to learn to understand that when God has put us in a position inside the church or outside of the church, wherever we're at, that we involve God in those moments. You might not be in the job that you want to be, But with God, the sky's the limit. That you start ministering to people around you. That you start loving the people around you. That you start serving the people around you. And ultimately, to be a servant, you just start trusting God. That I might not be in the position that I am right now, but by trusting Him and serving like He served, He's the one that'll promote me. Whether my boss thinks that I'm good enough, whether uh, my spouse thinks I'm good enough, whether whoever it is, I'm not going to try and demean them anymore. I'm going to serve them and let God bring me up just like he brought Jesus up. Amen. The last thing we do, I don't know if it's on there. I think it is. Uh, is, uh, Is the faith declaration still up there? Should be the last thing on there. I am. That's what it starts with. There it is. This is our faith declaration for the Upside Down series. 
We started the first week with I am a world changer, I will change my world. This week we talked about I am a servant. Next week we're going to talk about I am a giver. The outside world idea is I've got to take everything. We see that in the toilet paper crisis of last month. I've got to take everything. I'm not going to give it to anybody. I'm not going to save for anything. I've got to, I've got to hoard everything I can because everybody else is doing the same. But the scripture shows and Jesus shows I have to give in order to get. I have to give in order to receive. Upside down, I don't want to give anything. I want to take everything. When I go to the buffet, I want to get everything. I want to scoop everything on my plate. Because I don't know if they're going to take it off the menu when I try to go up for my second plate. Next week, we're going to talk about I am a giver. I am a lover. It's the third week. I am a child. I am a believer. I am a receiver. And so we're just going to say this together as we finish up. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Let's say this together. One, two, three. I am a world changer. I will change my world. I am a servant. I am a giver. I am a lover. I am a child. I am a believer. I am a receiver. I will change my world. I am a world changer. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the challenging, upside-down teaching of challenging us to become and be a servant just like you. Father, that we put on this new mindset, the same mind of Christ, that we're not going to go out there and demean the world. We're not going to go out there and, and destroy the people so that we can be promoted, but we're going to be a servant. We're going to wash people's feet at their ugliest moments. We're going to serve the tables, no matter how minimal or how maximized the job is in our mind, we're going to get God involved in those moments. And lastly, we're just going to trust you. You're the God who brings promotion. You give us favor <coughs> with God and with man. So Father, I help, help us this week as we go in to see and challenge our mindset to become a servant. That we're not going to be conformed to the world. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by being servants. Father, I thank you that your word says that your people are the head and not the tail. They're above and not beneath. Blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Father, your word says that everything they put their hands to must prosper. Your word says that you sent your word and it healed them. Your word says that by Jesus' stripes they are already healed. Your word says that they have the mind of Christ. Your word says... That you love them and you will do the promotion in their lives. Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.